Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Uh, Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And we praise you for the great privilege that we have to come and sit at your feet, to hear these words that by your Spirit inspired infallibly for the evangelist Luke to write, that we might be infallibly instructed, that we might be infallibly corrected and reproved and trained and taught, uh, that we might be made righteous in Christ Jesus. We ask, your Lord, that your word would not return unto you void this morning, that it would go forth and accomplish your purpose, that it would produce fruit in our heart, that we would produce the fruit of repentance of sin that we find, and that we would cling to Christ Jesus in faith, and that we would give ourselves out of gratitude to bear the fruit of obedience to your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. But he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Christ has been, and we've seen this not only in the first 12 verses of the chapter 12, but in the last half of chapter 11, uh, given to discourse about sincerity and integrity of faith against hypocrisy and external religion, that we ought not to fear man, but to fear God, and in the fear of God, find that all fear is cast out. This was the tenor of his preaching here in this crowd, in this great company of people. And when Jesus comes to a pause, this man brings forth this question, seeking perhaps to honor Jesus Christ. It was typical in that day for the church, the Jews, to bring these questions of the law to the scribes uh, and to the lawyers and to the rabbis. And so bringing it unto Jesus, he acknowledges Jesus to be a teacher in Israel. And yet his mind is preoccupied with this inheritance that he has. Just as if you look at Deuteronomy 21, a couple of the passages in Genesis, 
we find that it was typical for the eldest son to divide the inheritance. He was to get a double portion uh, because to him uh, fell the, the care of any unwed daughters or widows that might be left to the estate. Uh, and just to preserve uh, something of the original estate from one generation to the next, uh, the oldest typically had the double portion there because he had more responsibility. Uh, and yet that it was usually the oldest son that became then the patriarch that had the uh, task of dividing the uh, inheritance. And it might be sometimes that you might have a dastardly older brother uh, that by accounting errors and, and creative uh, accounting might uh, give himself a good deal more than a double portion and cheat his brethren. Or it might be that this man here had a covetous heart, as Jesus seems to imply by his discourse and his teaching, that he sought to gain more than, than what was really allotted to him. But regardless, hearing the, uh, the preaching concerning the word of God, the fear of God, the kingdom of God, he is more concerned in all of this by his uh, situation uh, in the inheritance. It's not that Jesus did not have some authority here. He is the Christ, after all. But he comes, uh, particularly before the cross, preaching the good news uh, of mercy. And we find even uh, in the New Testament order of the church, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when uh, the Corinthians were going to law against each other, that Paul rebukes them. And he doesn't say, take your issues to the elders. He doesn't say, take them to the deacons. He doesn't say, take them to the ministers of the word. He says, pick out the least wise amongst you. And even they, because they will be involved in judging the angels at the end of time, they should be confident to judge between your uh, problems. The problem is you have problems with each other and you defraud one another. He says, are there not wise men among you? Why go to law before the heathens? So we do know that these earthly matters are a concern for the church, but they're not her primary concern. And it wasn't Jesus's mission as Christ to stoop to the lawyers and the Pharisees position to assert their role. They were perfectly qualified to do this, even when they corrupted uh, the fear of God. This man was letting covetous concerns, worldly cares, a heart that looked for earthly blessings to the, at the expense of heavenly blessings to pull him out or to make him not hear the glorious coming of the kingdom of God. And the lesson that Jesus gives in this parable, particularly in the words of 20 and 21, is that such covetousness is foolishness. It's, it's based on a false doctrine that we, if we hear it universally, not just in the scriptures, the wisdom literature, the Old Testament, or here in Jesus' words, or in the words of the apostles, reject, but even 
uh, the ancient pagans would reject this false doctrine. And yet, even the ancient pagans recognized that this false doctrine was the norm. And that it had to constantly be spoken against. We read it in verse 15 when he warns the group. He says, Take heed, beware covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. The false doctrine is that life equals possessions, or life equals the enjoyment of our possessions. That if we can just get to a point where we're not having to be anxious about what we have, then we can, as this man thought, or the, the man of the parable at least, I could eat, drink, and be merry and take my rest. I have no more concerns. In other words, we want our security, a word that means to be without care. We want our security in the things of this world. But this is a false doctrine. And Jesus pronounced it to be a foolish doctrine. And he illustrates it by this parable of the rich man who had a great increase in his field. And, and we, 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 let's turn to it. In verses 16 through 19. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Take a note here. The rich man in the parable is not pictured as one who is covetousness or had a great deal of avarice before this abundance came. He may, he may not have. It's a, it's a parable. It's meant to focus our attention. He's also not pictured as one who got his gain by ill-gotten ways. It's not ill-gotten ways. This is uh, the, all the ways to gain wealth. This is the most honorable of wealth, the produce of the land. Adam, our first father, was given even before he sinned uh, to, to, to bring to, to order to the garden to cause it to produce fruit. And here we have the land brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So what did the increase do for this rich man? Well, first and foremost, we see in verse 17 that it caused him a great deal of care and worry. Uh, Jesus is brief, but, but the words are, are clear. What shall I do, he says, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Uh, we read in the next verse that he did indeed have barns. He is a rich man. We assume that he had what he needed for regular produce. But now he has so much that they can't contain it. And this causes him to, uh, a bit of anxiety. We also see that that anxiety moved him to a great deal of labor and expense. He tears down his barns that he had that we assume were personal, perfectly functional. And he makes more. This, this reminds him, remind us and give, give us to mind a portion of what we read this morning together from Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verses 9 through 12, well, 10 through 12. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loves abundance with increase. This is a vanity. When goods increase, they increase that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving, beholding them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich man will not suffer him to sleep. And he goes on to talk about how such a sore evil and a great vanity that is. Of course, 
if, if his plans went as he imagined, uh, this little bit of worry and this little bit of, of, of expense would be something he would probably, what we call humble brag about later, uh, where he complains about all the worry and expense this great abundance caused him so that he could talk about the great abundance. We don't know that. Let's not impugn him too bad. But also note what it gave him in verse 19. He says, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It gave him a sense of security. And a sense of security is good when that security is well-founded. But it gave him a false sense of security, as the following verse shows. This abundance lured him into thinking that he had nothing more to gain. It lured him to think that he had nothing uh, to worry about. It lured him into thinking uh, that his life was set. Certainly this man knew he was mortal. Certainly this man uh, knew that eventually these things would pass away. But he convinced himself that he would have them and that they would be his and uh, that, uh, that he was without worry. But what are possessions in the face of death? And more particularly, what are possessions in the face of him who holds the keys of life and death within his hands? Verse 20, Jesus wraps up the story of this rich man. But God said unto him, Fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be that thou hast provided? If you look in Psalm 49, uh, verses 6 through 15, uh, the psalmist writes, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it is uh, an everlasting cost that he should give, that, and he can't redeem him that he should live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that the wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish. And leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever. And their dwelling places to all generations. They shall call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being born in honor abideth not. He is like beasts that perish. This their way is folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. You know, the psalmist may have been wealthy or poor, but it didn't matter because his hope was in the Lord, unlike those who put their hopes in riches. Uh, the, you, you didn't gain your life through desire, through covetousness. Jesus says, uh, beware of covetousness. Uh, in verse 15. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. It's so simple. You know, it's not your covetousness. You didn't desire to be born. You were not before you were conceived. Your covetousness did not bring you into the world. And your covetousness can't prevent your exit. There are many people who have desired to prolong their days. 
and their days have not been prolonged. There are many uh, that have desired the shortening of their days uh, and refusing to take matters into their own hands, and yet their days have not been shortened. Think of Job. Covetousness is not how you gain life. Covetousness is not how you prevent its loss. Uh, You were not given life because you have great possessions and your death cared not for how much you possessed. It's an irrelevant factor. What are them in the face of death? Life is not what we possess. It is not the getting or the losing it's not the, the preparation or the lack of preparation. All that is a false doctrine and it is foolishness. So what is wisdom? Wisdom we have in verse 21 in the opposite way. So is he, that is a fool, that layeth up for himself treasure and is not rich towards God. Wisdom is being rich towards God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, familiar passage to us, Uh, verses 6 through 10, we have this contrasted. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, that is, seek after it, they fall into many temptations and a snare, and unto many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now what did the rich man lose in his abundance? I mean, he was, he was, he, he was rich in the things of the world, but we know that he was not rich towards God. So what did he lose? Well, the first thing he lost was gratitude. The opportunity to give thanks. We read in verse 16 that the ground gave forth fruit. God causes the the rain and the sun to shine upon the just and the unjust, the foolish and the wise, the rich and the poor. You know, you can you can do everything you need to do by uh, the tradition, the planting in the right season, the right weather, the right uh, have just the perfect amount of sun. And sometimes crops don't bear. Sometimes Seed are barren. And sometimes you do everything wrong and it gives forth, uh, the, the good fruit comes forth like weeds. Because these things come from God's hand. And this man, in this abundance, had an opportunity to give thanks, to remember that his Lord was good to him. And instead he worried about where he's going to put it. We also read in verse 18 that he lost the opportunity to be generous unto his neighbor. His barns, which he's a rich man, we're going to assume were sufficient. He tears those down and puts for, builds bigger so that he can hoard up the blessing. He had the opportunity to live with largesse. And even if his heart wasn't right with God, he could at least, as Jesus says, be wise as serpents and make friends of filthy mammon and give to his neighbor and make, make good that way. So he missed gratitude and he missed generosity. 
But also this false sense of security that he had caused him to miss true security. The true security of God's generous care. Remember, Jesus has been teaching already. He he talked about how we are not to fear man, but to fear God who can cast us into hell. But even as he says that, he says in verses 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. That we ought to trust to God's goodness. In another place, he says, uh, seek, knock. uh, Well, he says, ask, seek, knock. And those who ask, it shall be answered. Those who seek shall find. Those who knock, the door shall be opened unto you. If you, knowing how to give good gifts to your children, even when you're evil, a father typically doesn't give his child a snake when he asks for bread. If you then be evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in Heaven know how to give good gifts? There is a security to be had. To be without care in the world is, is not a bad thing. But we ought to be without care because our security is in the One who holds all things in His hand. And that brings us back to to the man that interrupted Jesus' speech, or maybe not interrupted him, but but instead of capstoning this discussion like the woman did in chapter 11, uh, blessed is the woman uh, that gave you birth and and nursed you. Uh, He's talking about his inheritance. Uh, Lord, judge between my brother and I. Verse uh, 13 What did the man coming to Jesus miss? Why was this parable spoken to them in the first place? The man had inheritance coming to him. He had something of the blessings of his father. Perhaps perhaps he was being defrauded. Perhaps not. But instead of a time when the family needs to draw together, and a time when this young man, who wasn't the, the, obviously not the, the, the eldest child, uh, was nevertheless having something of a windfall, because that's how the younger children usually receive their inheritances, as, as windfalls and, and opportunities. Instead of being grateful and being generous, he makes it an opportunity for discord and quarreling. And, and combat. And, and this is the beauty of the way that Jesus says this parable. Here we have the parable of a rich man that died. Who does his possessions go for? What kind of fruit is borne by this man's concern? Well, uh, perhaps it was like this other man's uh, father. And instead of, of breeding security, what has come forth is rather discord and sadness, and a further breaking of the heritage of this rich man. And because he wanted Jesus as a judge of these things, he missed Jesus as his Christ. Because he was so concerned about his inheritance and his brother, and and let's be honest, there is a certain fear of worldly things that comes with a with an over-carefulness about our income and our wealth and that sort of thing. He missed the glorious promise of him 
who cares even for the sparrows. It is foolish. It is foolish to lay up treasures in this world for ourselves and not be rich toward God. Practical lessons. We should recognize that though the parable is about a rich man, that covetousness is a danger to the rich and poor alike. To count your life as your possessions is foolish whether those possessions are many or few. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we, we look at the very wealthy and, and we congratulate ourselves that we're not them and we don't live worldly lives like them. Sometimes we, we wish we did. Sometimes we satisfy our own covetous hearts in that way, though, by turning our poverty into a sort of treasure itself. Well, I can't be covetous because look at how simply I live, because I have to, right? And, um, and then we, we think that we can excuse ourselves from covetousness because we're not in the rat race and because, uh, because we are perhaps on a fixed income or, or perhaps just because we, there's not much that we spend our money on. But understand, covetousness is any sort of discontent. And we can be discontent with very odd things. And we can miss the opportunity to be thankful, even in the midst of abundance. And we can miss the opportunity to be thankful, even when we have very little. It's a temptation. And to live for gain, to live for possessions, to live for the gathering of the things of this world is also foolishness, whether your, your plans in that regard succeed or whether they fail. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to, to, to pick out the rich man and see him succeed in his covetousness and build these bigger barns. Uh, but even had he failed, the foolishness of the rich man wasn't that he tore down perfectly good barns and somehow forgot to build better ones back. His foolishness is that he didn't recognize what he had, that he didn't recognize God's blessing upon him. And so sometimes we will use our failure at covetousness to excuse our covetousness. But we ought not to let do that either. Uh, because it just means we, we lose two blessings, a worldly one that would ruin us and, and, and the true blessing. We need to remember to be rich toward God, those heavenly treasures, which Jesus will go on and talk about throughout the chapter. Uh, but our chief treasure is Jesus Christ, by whom we live. But we also work treasures up by, by blessing others. We should read this parable and, and note that this was a time of, of blessing, a time of increase. And you and I will have times of increase, whether it is like the, the young man that comes to him initially because of an inheritance, or whether it is like the rich man because the ground uh, is more abundant than it's typically been, whether it's because we got a new job, whether it's because we have other opportunities open unto us, whether it is in the, more untan the less tangible blessings, whether it's the blessings of family, our bless if our families grow and they prosper, and that is also in some form or fashion often in our hearts like possessions. 
that we take these times of increase and make them times of gratitude and times of generosity. This man had received good ground and, and the abundance of it. His first thought would, should have been to thank God for certainly he had prayed for such a thing. And even if he hadn't, to thank God for the unasked for blessings. That we might be reminded that God indeed is a blessing. That God indeed does bless. One of the reasons we feel so distant from God is because we don't turn around our blessings and thank him for it. And we lose, we lose, we grow distance from his very, the very things that he sustains us by. And then also to make these times of gratitude. Our, you know, when, when the lady who lost the mite finds her, her little coin, uh, she, she throws a party. She, uh, when the shepherd uh, who finds his lost sheep comes back, he throws a party. Uh, it's almost like it cost him more to find it. But this is joy and gratitude, and it's also a joy and gratitude that, that overflows in generosity. God has been good to me. I want to be good to others around me. That's what celebration really is all about. This is what Paul tells the rich man in 1 Timothy 6. He says, charge them that are, verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. How do we be rich toward God? Well, one way is that we be rich to those things that God has given us to our neighbor. And then finally, we learn that true peace comes not from vain wealth that, pa- that is wealth but passes away, but true peace comes from true wealth. Again, being rich toward God. And I want to take you back again to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 this time. He says, beware the deceitfulness of riches. And he goes on, but thou, O men of God, fly these things and follow after the righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickens all things, and before Christ, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep his commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor, power, and glory forever everlasting. Amen. He's telling Timothy there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Beware of that wealth, but understand that just because you don't have a whole lot and you are being called to go into the furnace of persecution against a wicked nation, uh, both the Jews and, and the Romans, that you have one who has conquered death on your side, the one who has all immortality in his hand, the one by whom 
nothing is a vanity. So let us take heed to beware of covetousness and rather seek to be rich toward God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would content us in Christ, that you would make him to be our all-sufficient stay, that we would know the height and the breadth and the depth of your love to us in him, and that we would fear you, and fearing you, fear not, knowing that there is no power in the, of, of anything created that can separate us from your love, that there is nothing which can conquer us, for Christ has conquered death for us. We ask, dear Lord, that you would tread Satan under our feet and confirm us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.